0: Go ahead and take your seats. I want to jump into the uh, series that we're in today. I've entitled this Good News to a World That Seems to Be Crying Uncle. Because our series, Good News Being Good News to a World That Needs It, Jesus comes and he says, I'm bringing good news. I'm bringing the gospel. I am good news. And we're saying, well, we have good news, but are we being good news to a world that really needs good news? Jesus was not unclear. He was clear about his mission. He gives us a clear statement toward the beginning of it. Angels come and announce what he's going to be about when he's still an infant. He grows up into it. Uh, We had some projection from Isaiah in chapter 9 where it's a Christmas text, but it's really an Old Testament text, where we're told that this this changer is coming, this rescuer is coming, this Lord is coming, and he's going to bring peace on earth. In fact, he's referred to in Isaiah 9 as the Prince of Peace, and then later in his adult ministry, Jesus goes to the synagogue, they hand him the scroll, he stands up to read, and he reads, from the book of Isaiah. It's recorded in Luke chapter four. Pastor Jeff, who by the way, this week actually is in (laughs) Yountville preaching. I got that wrong a few weeks ago, and he was in Sonora at a men's retreat speaking, and I announced, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I announced to the church, a uh, pastor, Jeff, is in Yantville preaching, and there are some people in the church that had tried to get an appointment with him, and he had told them, I can't, i got to be in Sonora, and then they hear me say, no, he's in Yantville' and there are folks saying, ha, ha, so we got to, let me get this straight, we've got a church where Pastor Ben is teaching us when we can sneak out, and he even mentions offering is a good time to leave, and... <laughs> And Jeff's evading us and avoiding us by saying he's going to Sonora when he's actually in Yantville. He was in Sonora, and this week he's, in, week and he's preaching in that church in Yantville. Yantville Community Church, I think he told me is the name of it. It's a church that's asked us if we would help them with our relative wealth of staff uh, to sort of revive and find some new focus and re-energize their ministry uh, in, up in And They're not one of our denominational churches, but we love that we get to be generous with churches like that. Last week, Pastor Jeff referred to Luke chapter 4, and Jesus clearly announces his purpose from the book of Isaiah. And listen to what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me, now he's reading this text. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. By the way, because they understood what he had just claimed. Who he had just claimed that he was. And then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. (laughs) Pretty bold statement. Jesus makes it clear that he's all about being good news to a world that needs it. Not just bringing good news, bringing in the sense of being good news to a world that needs it. That's his goal, to bring peace on earth. How's he doing? I wanna ask, look at some of these slides that we have here. Ask the question, how's he seem to be doing with, uh, how are you feeling like he's doing with his goal? Uh, Missile crisis, fear. How would you like to be in front of that man getting that look from him? Are things going to go well? Syria. And actually, that represents the whole crisis of many people around the world who do not live uh, with the blue angels flying over the Golden Gate Bridge as they're driving over it on a nice weekend. We have our own problems. They're looking to us for help. But we've got our own problems of racism and white supremacy, and sadly, terribly sadly, the merging of, by some people, of faith and politic and nationalism. Jesus would have never tolerated that. It says Houston, but that represents some of the natural disasters. Houston's experience, Florida's experience, Bangladesh's experience, There's painful things happening to people all over the world. How are you doing so far, Jesus? Mexico City in this terrible earthquake were buildings that once brought shade and security where you'd go to have a nice meal. Now, if you're in there when the earthquake hits, it crashes down your head and takes your life. These are recent pictures of that earthquake in Mexico. A couple of weeks ago, we had the president of the International Justice Mission here and he reminded us that there are more slaves being held captive today than at any other time in recorded history, modern day Slavery, child slavery, sex slaves—all kinds of things going on—and then tragically, where it's still raw. But we know that uh, this terrible thing that happened in Las Vegas—we um, don't understand the level of dementia or evil that would cause somebody to do what we. Even in Nevada, one of our own communities, families uh, in Nevada was hit by this. In fact, indirectly, probably more than that one, but one lady who's a friend of our pastor, Ben and Katie, that family's in their circle of friends. They were over there ministering to the kids on the night at their house. They got called, and then there was a prayer vigil, and Ben was a part of that, along with Joe Everly, pastor over at, at the Quest, where one of the ladies of our community was killed in that terrible tragedy. I came to bring good news. I am the Prince of Peace. Today, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. And many of us are asking the questions, many of us who follow Christ are asking the same kinds of questions that the whole community, the whole country, and really the whole world is asking. How are you doing with that, Jesus? Even Hollywood... I watched the Jimmy Kimmel monologue. I actually think Jimmy Kimmel's brilliant, and uh, I'm sure we don't agree on every point of doctrine, but I think the guy's got a great mind. And he's supposed to be coming up, I I grew up in the days of Carson, you know, he was just funny, you get the monologue, you look forward to the monologue, you talk the next day about Carson's monologue. So now Jimmy Kimmel is there, and the same week that all of that tragedy happened in Las Vegas, which is his hometown, he stands up to give his monologue, cannot control himself. He's barely holding back tears. His voice is quivering at several points. And he apologizes, he says, I know I'm supposed to be here to be funny, but I can't be funny this week. And he talks about how he's feeling ripped apart inside because of the cumulative effect of things that are happening and things we're enduring and things we're hearing about and things that we're watching. We're aware that we're to be good news and that Jesus brought good news, but it feels like so many people are experiencing anything but good news. And Kimmel actually uses uh, the phrase, he says, stuff like this makes you just want to give up. And then he uses the phrase, he says this, he says in his monologue this week, one of his monologues, it seems as though the windows have been open and evil has come in the open window. That's a paraphrase. But he's using that kind of language. He says, He says, the windows, uh, oh, he says, it feels like someone has opened the window of hell. He was even stronger than what I said. With all sincerity, here's this guy trying to process the stacking of terrible experiences and all the pressure. Uh, that's going on. Are you feeling encouraged yet this morning? The world seems to be in panic. Kate Winslet was uh, interviewed about her new film, uh, The I think it's called The Mountain Between Us, something like that. And in that interview, she finishes talking about the film and the beauty that she saw. But even she, this is before Las Vegas, I believe this interview happened, even Kate Winslet. Listen to what she says and the way she describes her angst from what she's seeing and experiencing. When we were making the film every single day I would stand and look at this beautiful world and I felt completely in awe of how incredible the experience was for us. You know, the chosen few to get to see these wonderful sights, these incredible vistas, just mountains as far as the eye can see. And you know, with Hurricane Irma and the earthquakes and everything that has been happening, it's sort of hard to almost talk about it without feeling a bit emotional. It it, it slightly feels like the world is ending, and there's no there, I can't put it any other way. Um, it's um it's it, it's 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 absolutely terrible, and and we all as a global community, you know, this is the one thing that we all share is this wonderful world. And we have, to, we have to team together here. We have to make some changes. We have to do something. We have to pay attention. Um, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. So as you catch those two phrases in particular, the last one, it's terrifying. But midway in the interview, she, she used the phrase, it seems as though the world is ending. So you've got Kimmel coming on, even Hollywood. Kimmel coming on saying, man, what happened? Did somebody open the window of hell and let hell in to our experience? And her saying, it's it's terrifying, it's as though the world is ending. Now, having seen all that, be reminded of that, and even heard from unlikely voices that it's time for the world to get some good news. We bring this series: good news to a world that needs it. And this morning, one aspect of that good news, something it's pretty obvious to me, Novato needs our own hearts need, the world needs, the tenderloin needs, the Middle East needs, Southeast Asia needs, good news of peace. Because part of that message of the good news is peace. Jesus says, peace give I to you. Just the opposite of what the world's giving you. The world's giving you fear and turmoil and angst and the fear at night that you shouldn't go to sleep because the window of hell has been open and hell's gotten in and who knows what's coming next. And, and, and I give you just the opposite of that. I give you peace. And man, has, the, has there ever been a time when the world needed that? like it needs it today? Well, the answer actually is yes. It's just that we are so aware of every tragedy the minute it happens and at deep levels and we see the pictures and we hear, almost can hear the screams and smell the smells because we're, we're being asked by the way, be careful about this because this is just on a side, but we are constantly and increasingly being, being asked if not forced to choose to live life at beyond a human pace. And to process information, especially difficult, discouraging, painful information at levels that we're probably not equipped to manage it, and certainly at a pace we're not equipped uh, to manage it beyond the way we were created to deal with things. So having some input from the Holy Spirit that calms us and moves the decimal point for us and teaches us how to deeply care but still be able to manage lives is really important. It seems to me, and it seems to Kate Winslet, and I think Jimmy Kimmel, and all of us, that evil has humanity's arm twisted up behind its back. And humanity is crying out, Uncle, humanity is tapping the mat right in the middle of being choked out. So you tell me, is this a timely series? Being good news. Not traumatic news. Being good news to a world that needs it. May I say this to the church? Probably better said during my second point, but I don't want to forget it. This is not a time where the world needs a spanking from the church. This is a time where the world needs a hug from the church. And listen, when, when I deserved a spanking, and there were one or two times when I deserved one of them. And my dad instead called me into his room, and he didn't say take off your belt because I used to get spanked with my own belt. My dad bought me a belt for Christmas. Tell you well, what a mixed message that was. I tell you. <laughs> Gee, thanks, Dad. Oh. But when there were those times when my dad took off his, he said, don't take off your belt. I just want to talk with you. And he gave me a hug when I deserved a spanking. Listen, I never once thought he was compromising his principles because he didn't nail me. The church needs to be free to recognize the world doesn't need a spanking right now. The world needs to be embraced by the church. And listen, now listen, that doesn't mean we've compromised anything we believe. Do you get that? Only thinking people can understand that. The poor evangelical movement has mistakenly believed, oh boy, if we're kind and we don't just nail them to the wall every time they do something wrong, we've compromised. Stop thinking like that. That's going to close doors for us. We won't be able to be good news to a world that needs it because they don't need another layer of it from us. Now I'm preaching. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to preach like that It's a good time. Now, the world needs the good news we can bring. That's really not even in question. Even Hollywood is admitting that in in different ways. The question is, how do we bring it? And if peace is a component of this good news that Jesus says it's his uh, his perfect plan to bring, what are the elements of peace that we bring and how do we... Bring that peace. What is biblical peace that the world needs? I want to just point out a couple of things here about peace and how we offer it. How we are good news to a world that's crying uncle. First point. Being good news to a world that needs it when we're trying to offer and be instruments of peace is about being champions of divine order. That's part of what biblical peace means. One of the concepts buried in the idea of shalom is is when everything fits into its proper place, when there's a sense of order, everything is sort of functioning in the way it was designed to function. And we have this concept of divine order. How did God order the world? And when... When life and community and people and friendships, relationships, systems, governments, everything is fitting in the way it's supposed to be uh, functioning, functioning in the way it's supposed to be functioning, there is a sense of peace and that is housed a little bit in the idea of biblical peace. It's the calm that results when everything is fitting into its proper place in its proper way for its proper purpose. I mean, when I describe that, if that were the case, can't you feel yourself going a little bit like, oh, okay, everything's where it's supposed to be, when it should be there, in the way that it should be there. Now, how do I get that? This idea that peace is in part about divine order when things are the way they actually should be. That's dispersed throughout scripture. But one place is pretty interesting to me is in the book of 1 Corinthians where Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Now the context here is that the church when it gathers together for worship is a little bit chaotic. And people are, five or six people are prophesying or preaching at the same time, preaching over each other. They, one might be starting a song while the other one's speaking in tongues and the other one's preaching a sermon or announcing a prophecy. And you've got this lack of order in gathered worship. And in that context, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, that two or three prophets should speak. The others should be carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. I mean, look at the detail he's going into, all saying, because that's not the way God planned gathered worship. This is the way that ought to be. You can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets order 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 now this isn't talking about the world this is talking about one application of it in the local church but then look at this line because he bases that application on a foundational principle that Paul argues many different places he said for God is not a God of disorder but a God of peace, as in all the congregations of the the Lord's people. And I want to jump on that one phrase. God is not a God of disorder or confusion or the word from which we get our word chaos, but a God of peace. And he grammatically sets this up, almost like a numerical equation. He goes out of his way grammatically. When you read this, you can see he's trying to create a strong contrast. He's He's creating a statement of opposites here. So he's making a statement not only about order, but he's making a statement about peace. Here's what order order and peace are related. and they're related in that uh, disorder and peace are related, and they're related in that they're opposites. There's no peace when there's chaos. We all know that. So if we're going to be instruments of peace, people who bring good news to a world that needs it, and part of that good news is this function. This practice, this experience of peace, that comes when we become champions of divine order, knowing how God structured things to work, and then championing that order, that kind of a, a structure. It's like when I, when I, I used to have a ten wheeler dump truck. That's how I made my. my my crazy living in my early years. And my dad was teaching me how to drive this truck. And in a 10-wheeler dump truck, you have two transmissions. You have three axles, big old, you know, you've seen them. And you have two transmissions. You have your main transmission, which is usually a five-speed shifting transmission. That's the big stick. And you have to use your clutch for that. Just like in, in your car, clutch. But there's another transmission that in line under the truck is behind the main transmission. It's a much smaller one. It's called a brownie, and the brownie gives you a nuance of each of the gears that are in your main transmission. So I could put, if a truck was really heavy, you couldn't just go from first to second gear. It's too big of a jump. You need steps. So you put the clutch in, in, and in the main transmission, you put it in first, but then you have to shift that brownie in the, into the two, they have a two-speed or a three-speed brownie into the different 1A, 1B, and 1C versions of first gear, and then you go back to the main transmission, you put it in second, and you put the brownie back around in the first level, you get that, are you, are you, boy when I was first learning that, let me tell you something, because you use a clutch to shift the main transmission, but you have to shift the brownie without using the clutch. So I'm in first gear, clutch is out, and now I've got to use the acceleration or deceleration of the engine and the RPMs to figure out just when I can shift that brownie to the next gear with no clutch. There, there was so much grinding and carnage in that brownie transmission when I was first learning. I mean, i would fine with the clutch, but then when I had to shift the brownie with no clutch, <laughs> And I could just see my dad sitting in the passenger seat when he was teaching me with his head in his hands wondering how much it was going to cost him to buy a new brownie transmission. (laughs) But then eventually, I got it figured out. And with my ear, I could shift and I would get just the right timing and the RPMs would drop to just the right time and I'd shift that brownie and those gears without grinding. Grinding would fall right into place the way they were designed to do. That's kind of what we're talking about here. One aspect of the peace Jesus brings, the good news of peace, is when all the gears line up the way they're supposed to. And they fall right into place because life is ordered around the values, the teaching, and the agenda that Jesus offers, that God brings. Good news comes to a world that needs it, When the people of God are willing to champion the practice of divine order. In other words, where people act as they should act. And where power is used as it should be used. Where you can live with a reasonable assurance that insanity will be corralled instead of canonized. Where people will be valued instead of categorized the panoramic hotel views will be used to enjoy the scenery, not to increase the carnage. When things are as they should be, as they were intended to be. When the gears fall into place because the RPM is just right the way God ordered it. My first point. But my first point is lost if it's not taken in tandem with the second point. Because good news that comes when we champion divine order can quickly become bad news when God's people do it in the wrong way. Good news of championing divine order can feel like a spanking to the world if it's not taken in tandem with another aspect of peace, the idea of being champions of reconciliation. It's the concept in scripture that you'll read about called speaking truth in love. That last part that love, it's easy to get around. We still want to give a spanking cuz we want to say I speak you the truth, but I love you, I just don't like you. You know that kind of love? That's not what scripture's talking about here. Scripture is saying, "Be free church, The fact that you don't nail everybody to the wall every time they do something that you perceive might be out of order with scripture doesn't mean you've compromised anything. It actually means you've been biblical because you're not only championing truth or divine order, but you're also championing another piece of peace, reconciliation, where you value people, where you love your enemies where you come together even and especially maybe with those with whom you drastically and seriously disagree. To speak truth in such a way that the person to whom you're speaking it still feels like they are respected, loved, there's a bit of humility in the way that you're relating to them, that you're building a bridge, not a moat to keep distance between you. So being champions of reconciliation while we're being champions of divine order. That's peace. Another aspect of peace. Doing away with contentious distance between people. You get that? You read the life of Jesus. You're going to find that Jesus was into building bridges, not fighting culture wars. Building bridges even with the people with whom he disagreed. Both Old and New Testaments emphasize the importance of that, the importance of God's people being about peace, reconciliation between people. I mean, in Psalm 34, it's just one example of a phrase that shows up many, many times from the front to the back, especially of the Old Testament. This challenge, it's word for word. Seek peace and pursue peace. In the wisdom litter especially, over and over and over again, you have this hammered home. Listen, seek peace. In other words, pursue peace. Peace, reconciliation, bridges between people, even where there should be and normally would be tension. In Matthew 5, Jesus picks up on that theme in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, blessed are the what? Peacemakers. Jesus does not say blessed are the pacemakers. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus doesn't say blessed are the people who can run at fast pace and make things happen. Blessed are the power brokers. He doesn't say blessed are those who win the argument. Blessed are those who nail the people who got it wrong. Blessed are the what? Say it. Peacemakers. Why? Because man, when you are advocating for and being a champion of peace, of bridge building, of forgiving, of disagreeing in a way that's civil and kind and honoring even of somebody that you're dead sure is wrong. You're living out what I promised to be to the world. I came to free the oppressed. I came to release those held at gunpoint. I came to be good news to a world that needs good news. To a world that doesn't need a spanking, it needs a hug. It's already spanking itself. Do you think Kate Winslet needs to be reminded that she should feel awful about what's going on in the world? Christian peace is primarily about building relationships, not winning arguments, and sometimes we who follow Christ forget that. We forget that. that the relationship is as important or even more important according to teachings of Jesus than winning that particular argument that happens to be in play. And and listen, I'll remind you again, I'll just say the same thing another way. Got to get it through our heads. There's no future for a church that does not get this through their heads. When we're kind and respectful to people that see things differently than us, even if we're dead sure they're wrong and we're right, that doesn't mean we've compromised what we believe. doesn't mean we are selling out. As a matter of fact, it means we're yielding to the example of Jesus, not selling out the example of Jesus. It's all over the scripture. Hebrews 12. Pursue peace with all people. How clear does it have to be? Romans 12, as far as it concerns you, be at peace with everyone. Last week, Pastor Jeff reminded us, what what have we got to do with judging the world? We're to challenge ourselves. In fact, let me tell you about spanking and hug. Did Jesus ever give a spanking to people? Stinking right he did. You know to whom? Only to the religious community. You never see Jesus being aggressive and abrupt and giving a spanking to folks who aren't in that religious community. But boy, when the religious community in their arrogance and their lack of love, their lack of commitment to true peace, their lack of tolerance for those with whom they disagreed, when they didn't know how to love their oppressors and love their enemies, Jesus had no patience with that. As far as it has to do with you, be at peace with all people. Respect them as human beings. Disagree with them, but do it with civility, kindness, and humility. Tolerance for a contentious distance between people with whom we disagree is not a mark of spiritual authority. It's not a mark of spiritual purity. It's not a mark of biblical faithfulness. It's a mark of spiritual immaturity. Do you get that? When, when it's okay with you to be distant from people, any people. You're not being a champion of peace. It's not easy, it's challenging. That's why there are so few people in history who have done very well with it. That's the opposite of good news. It's the very last thing Kate Winslet's world needs. A church that knows the good news, but is so afraid that it will be perceived as being compromising if it ever loves somebody with whom it disagrees, that it just creates distance and is comfortable with it. That's not being good news to a world that needs it. Okay. I'll conclude, but, you know, Jesus says people are going to stumble over him He's enough reason for people to stumble. Jesus does not need the church to help him have people stumble. We don't need to add to that challenge. He's reason enough for people to say, what do you mean? No one comes to the Father except through you. There are people stumbling over that statement he made. We don't need to add one to the stack. Order, divine order, reconciliation, good news, peace. Last week when Pastor Jeff introduced the Luke 4 text, he reminded you that you'd be hearing some version of this in every one of these messages. He said the only way for us to be good news to a world that needs it is through a growing or a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. In other words, the only way to be champions of any lasting peace is for us to be champions of a life of what I'm calling today a yielded friendship with Christ. A yielded friendship with Jesus. In Matthew 11, Jesus says to Kate, and all the Kates, look, (laughs) are the wheels coming off your life and off of your world? Are things not as they should be, and they're certainly not as they will one day be? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest or peace for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light in that statement is the presupposition that all of us are wearing a yoke already. Jesus taught that. If you think you're not wearing a yoke and you're completely independent and not influenced by any philosophy, any ruler, any authority, you're fooling yourself. Everybody's wearing a yoke. I mean, look, the very fact that Any one of us, every once in a while, does something that we regret and we don't want to do, yet we still find ourselves doing it, to me would prove there's some kind of a yoke on me. Jesus says, take off that yoke and put on a yoke that was made for you that will not rub your shoulders raw. I'm gentle, humble, loving, created you. Follow me. Let my teachings be your yoke, your guide, Jesus says, because peace is not the absence of disturbance. Peace isn't the absence of disturbance. Jesus also said in the world you're going to have disturbance. Guaranteed. Peace isn't the absence of disturbance. Peace is the presence of hope. That's what peace is. Hope that the order of God, the way he created things, the way they should be, they will be, and to a lesser degree, they can be even today. Peace comes when relationships are reconciled and we work to have friendships even when friendships aren't a normal thing, given the way each of us believes. It's a synchronism of gears falling into place when we take on a new and preferred vision by aligning our present with God's future Jesus says come and take my yoke the yoke that fits you not the chaotic yoke that causes you scars choose order over chaos he says choose reconciliation over distance choose peace choose me And give all those who feel as though the world is coming apart at the seams what they need most. Be good news to a world that needs it. Good news, the peace that is found in Christ.